The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt his worth. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks the new and glorious morn
Please silence all cell phones and beepers. Where to start? Where to start? Thank you. Thank you for uh, trusting me to, um, to come and have the first uh, message at the Boulevard Bible Chapel of the year 2021. It appears as though you want to set the bar low <laughs> so, <laughs> so that anybody following can say, wow, I did better than Billy. No, seriously, though, thank you for trusting me uh, with the podium here at the Boulevard Bible Chapel. You guys have a reputation, and it's a good one. At least in my book, it's a good one. Um, I'm sorry again for uh, dragging you back into the Christmas season. Um, Obviously, from the song that Sharon sang, we're going to be talking a little bit about Christmas. But what it is is going to be your part of Christmas, if I had to entitle this message, which I'm not a fan of message titles, but if I had to title this message, it would be our part in Christmas, our part. Uh, you know, there's a few things in the song I want to touch on before I really take off on the tangent that I want to go on uh, from that song. Uh, the first is, oh, hear the angels' voices. You know, um, there's some people that would say, wow. We just heard the voice of an angel, you know. Um, she's good. She's good. But I don't think that's the voice of an angel. Uh, because, you know, when angels speak, when angels come and appear, what are the first words they usually have to say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Okay. These, these, are, these are beings that are formidable. These are beings that emanate light. Uh, the light shone round about them, and they were sore afraid, and they had to say, don't be afraid. Have you ever heard an angel's voice? Have you ever heard an angel's voice? I, to, I've never, to my knowledge, I've, I don't think I've ever heard an angel's voice, but it's written in the Word of God where angels have spoke, listen, listen to the voice of the angels. What the voice of the angels say there in Luke? <laughs> be not, don't, tell the shepherds, don't be afraid. You know, they, they uh, Sam's not here anymore, is he? Carrion, gone, gone, right? Um, up, up north. Sam came to the Hollywood Bible Chapel, preached a message on the, the threshing floor of Orion. And um, it's where David has, had chosen his medicine, right? And the angel of the Lord came into Jerusalem, killed 70,000 people with the edge of the sword. Um, these shepherds out in the field that night probably knew that story. They, they knew that record. Let's not call it a story, right? Let's call it a a historical record. They knew it. And they were afraid. And he said, don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings and great joy, which will be for all people unto you, is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He is here. That's the voice of the angel. That's the Christmas story. He's here. 
another voice of an angel. Two women showed up at the the grave of Jesus very early in the morning on the first day of the week. There was somebody there that, two men there, right, that Scripture says their clothes looked like lightning. Wow. And the women, they were troubled. Yeah. Yeah. That's a... That's probably an understatement. I don't want to accuse Scripture of understating things, but they were troubled. And those two angels said, Why seek you the living amongst the dead? He's not here. He's risen. The voice, oh, hear, the song said, the angels' voices. He's here. He's not here. Acts chapter 1, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up? This same Jesus who went up will in like manner come back to you. Oh, hear the angel voices. He's here. He's not here, but he's coming back. Amen. And we're going to look at that a little bit more today as this, uh, as the, uh, as the lesson goes on. Long, lin- long lay the world in sin and error pining. Um, I've got a really cute story to tell you about this before I get into the ugly part. Uh, I preached the same message in Hollywood a few weeks ago when it actually was the Christmas season. And, um, you know, I haven't been able to read for about, I don't know, 12, 14 years, whatever it is, I'm not sure. Um, so I've never read this song. Right? I've only heard it. And I thought it said, in sin and ever pining. And that's the way I preached it. Not that it would change the preaching much. It really wouldn't. And thank goodness it's not scripture. So, uh, you know, it's just a Christmas carol. I missed a word in it, right? But here's the cute story. Sharon, Sharon was working. So I called up Pam. I said, Pam, what are you doing this morning? Nothing. You, you want to go over to Taste of the City, have breakfast? Yeah, let's have breakfast over Taste of the City. So we go over to Taste of the City. How many of you eat at Taste of the City? I don't know. I can't see your hands anyhow, but you can raise them if you want to. <laughs> so we're sitting there at Taste of the City. Pam goes, you know, Bill, I, I don't know if I should tell you this or not, but, but uh, you know, the word's error, not ever. I said, Really? She goes, yeah, it's not error. It's, I mean, it's not ever, it's error. I said, she goes, Pam, thank you. I said, you know, I, you know, I can't, you know, bump, 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 the whole nine yards. And we went on. We finished our steak and eggs. Well, I had steak and eggs. Anyhow, I forget what she had. About a week later, <laughs> about a week later, I'm sitting in Taste of the City with Sharon now, right? Went there with my wife. She's sitting in the same seat that Pam was sitting in. She goes, honey, I got something to tell you. What, hon? She goes, you know, it's not ever. It's error. This this is just too weird. This is just too weird, you know? So, long lay the world in sin and error, pining. But here's the funny part of it, you know? If you're going to make an error, it may as well be on the word error. I find I find humor in odd places. But there's one of them, right? 
Long lay the world in sin and error, pining. Long, again, well, you know, I can accuse the song. It's not scripture. Long is an understatement, right? Um, you know, from the human standpoint, let's look at it from the human standpoint for just a moment. God uh, creates Adam. God uh, takes a rib out of Adam, creates Eve. God sets them in the Garden of Eden, a perfect place. If if there was ever going to be a, a, a perfect time and a perfect existence, here it was in the Garden of Eden, right? Adam, Eve, God, the cool of the evening, the, 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 the oh, wow, perfect, right? Sin. Sin entered. You two, out. Out. So they go out. Eve, Adam now, work makes him sweat. Eve, pains in childbirth, right? The whole, the whole curse. Uh, Satan, yeah. Her seed's going to crush your head, bruise your head. Her seed's going to bruise your head. You'll bruise her heel. The whole nine yards. We know, you know, we here at the Boulevard Bible Chapel, we don't have to go through all those things. We know uh, about creation and the fall. Sin in its inception right there. So they get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Humanly speaking, all right, they're out of the Garden of Eden. They've learned their lesson. Is it the next page where Cain kills Abel? Is it the next page? And sin just continues to build and build and build and build and build. And then here we have the, the ark, Noah and the ark, right? We're, we're, we're kind of called to be Noah, right? Um, judgment of God's coming. It's coming. It's going to rain. What's rain? There's no rain. And he was, he was, he was heckled and, and, and derided. For how long was it? 100 or 120 years? Whatever it was that he was building the ark, right? Okay, humanly speaking, now we're good. God's wiping the earth clean. He's leaving eight people, only eight, only eight righteous people left. That's it. As soon as they get off of the ark, as soon as they get off of the ark, there is sin again. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Okay, okay, that was the whole world. God never picked for himself a people if God picks for, humanly speaking, if God picks for himself a people, oh, oh, now that'll be good. He will have, he, so he calls Abram out of the, uh, air of the Chaldees. He says, I've got a land for you. I will drive out the inhabitants in front of you and I will give you this land flowing with milk and honey and you will be, I will be your God and you will be my people. Humanly speaking, that's going to be it. It's done. It's, it's over, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Into Egypt they go. Out of Egypt they come. Here's the law, the Ten Commandments. Moses with this absolutely surreal experience up on the mountain to where his face shone like the sun. <sighs> and they're breaking number one when he's coming down from the mountain. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining. You know, we want kings. We want kings. This whole thing of just the prophets and the judges. We want kings. We want kings. Okay, here's your kings. You know, do you know it's always been wrong to have more than one wife? Do you know it's always been wrong? 
The pattern was Adam and Eve. That's the godly pattern. It's always been wrong to have more than one wife. Solomon, 700. It was his undoing. Scripturally speaking, it was his undoing. Long lay the world in sin. Look at David, a man after God's own heart. How many wives did he have? Look at <laughs> the sons of Jacob. The sons that the, the tribes of Israel, the men that started the tribes of Israel, what were they? I'm not clear. What were they from? Three or four different wives? I'm not sure. And four? Sin and error belong lay the world and sin and error pining. But Daniel chapter 9 told us that in the 69th week, Messiah would come and be cut off, but not for himself. To make an end to sin. He's conquered. You know, sin's been conquered. He's conquered sin at the cross. Absolutely. You know, we couldn't do it as a as an entire race of people in, in, the, in the Adamic time, we couldn't do it. As a, as a people called out from God, you know, Aaron's sons, you know? Aaron's sons. Wow. That's an entire race of people, uh, a group of people called out. It still couldn't happen. We had to have somebody come and do it for us and take us and place us into righteousness. We have in righteousness imputed upon us. We are wrapped in him. So long lay the world in sin and ever pining till he appeared. Then the soul felt his worth. Okay, now we're going to take off. Now we're going to take off. Those are just thoughts about the song. Okay, that's not the message. Um, uh, uh, where am I at here? What is that? Is that 11? Is that 11 even? 11.05? Oh, well. We'll see where we end up. <laughs> Hold on. Here we go. Yeah, you can laugh at me. Siri, what time is it? That's what I have to do. <laughs> she didn't tell me. Look at that. Oh, that's because it's on silent. It's on silent. It's on silent. Okay. The gist of the message, the two words that I want to hone in on in this song. Long lay the world in sin and ever pining till he appears. That's the whole Christmas story is his appearing, right? He came as a little baby in the manger. We all know it. Then the soul felt as he appears. In the next verse, it says, truly he taught us to love one another, right? He appeared and then he taught. This is our part of Christmas. This is our part of Christmas. He appeared. He taught. We ought to do, right? We're the doers. We're the bees. We're the doers. He appeared. He taught. Look uh, in uh, uh, Titus, right? Titus uh, chapter 2. Um, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. He appeared and he taught, denying ungodliness, worldly lusts, we ought to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking forward to, hoping for, expecting the glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the first 
His first advent was an appearing of his grace. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. It's an appearing of his grace. His second appearing will be an appearing of his glory. It will be the same Jesus, just like the angel told the people in Acts chapter 1. He might appear a little different. A white horse with a name that none know except him. Vesture dipped in blood being followed by the oh, making, oh, wow. This is not a different Jesus. This is not a different Jesus. This is the one whom we come to remember every Sunday morning. It is this Jesus that is coming in, in, in victory, in glory, in his glory. His grace has already appeared. And when he appeared, he taught. He taught us. Now, um, the book of Ephesians. Uh, is that where I'm at, hon? Oh, yes, right, 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 right. I know you guys just went through the parables not too long ago, right? Um, The wise man built his house upon the rock. Foolish man built his house upon the sand, right? What were these two men? You know, they were both taught. They were both taught. They both might have got the chocolate seat in Sunday school. I don't know. They both might have had perfect attendance at Sunday school. Who knows? I don't know. Did they even have Sunday school then? Uh, Probably not. But you know what I mean. They were both taught. The wise man is the man who hears the words and does them. And the foolish man is the man who hears the words and doesn't do them. So they both heard. They're both on a level playing field up to their own initiative. They're both on a level playing field. They have both heard the word. Have they sat in Sunday school class? Have they sat in front of a preacher? Probably. So he appeared, he taught, and we are to do, okay? Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is a two-part book. Probably could have had two chapters. I don't know. Uh, Uh, because the first half of the book is all about Christ and what he is and what he's done. It talks a bit about what we were. You know, we were were dead, right? We were uh, were without hope. We were without God in this. Can you imagine that? Can you place yourself in that? Place yourself in that situation. We were without hope. And without God in this world, you know, I don't know how they make it. I I don't know how they make it in this world without God. But you want to take a step beyond that and and think about a person who's going to be without God in eternity. That, you know, when you're without God in this world, um, you're still affected by God because we're in his... It's it's a fallen creation, right? Yes, okay, but we're still in his creation. We still all breathe and live and eat, and and, and we enjoy so many of the things that God has created, even though we are without God spiritually. uh, It it doesn't make as much difference because in the physical realm, uh, we all kind of look the same and kind of do the same things. We all get up and go to work and raise our kids the best we can and all of that, you know. So being without God in this world, while it is bad, is not near as bad as being without God in the next world. That's an eternal death. Um, 
where the fire burns, but it doesn't consume. It's a different place. It's a different place. So at any rate, that's us. That's us. Without God in this world. Now, now, uh, uh, the, the first three chapters of Ephesians, you know, it's bifurcated there at 4-1 words. It says, I, therefore, I beseech you to walk worthy. We're going to get to that. Uh, but first, let's take just a short, very short look at those first three chapters. Um, and, and what he accomplished for us by his coming, by his appearing, if you will, by his appearing. He, um, he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. What kind of a, what kind of a vision that does, does that give you in your head? That might be the wrong word, vision. I, you know, I know there's negative connotations to it. But what kind of a feeling that does, does that give you that we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. You know, it carries that, it carries that, um, the idea of Colossians where it says, if you then be risen with Christ, you know, we're on a different plane now. We're in a different place spiritually than we were before. We're in it, we, 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 perceive of things differently. We look at, uh, uh, the origins of things differently. Um, we have been introduced to the spiritual plan, to the heavenlies. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, the above land, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So here we are in the heavenlies. What kind of a, what kind of a concept? What does that Put in your head before you get too warm with it. Remember the end of the book. Not everybody in the heavenlies is nice. Not everybody in the heavenlies is out for us. Some are out for us. Right? So he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. In him we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Who could do that? Who could do that? I don't. I, I, you know, I don't know if there was a scene um, pre-incarnation like the scene that's going to be in Revelation chapter five, where John weeps because there's nobody worthy. There's none worthy to open the scrolls and loose its seals until the Lion of the tribe of Judah shows up. Wow! Wow! Was there a pre-incarnate meeting in heaven that said, who is worthy? Who is worthy to redeem them and to forgive sin? Nobody. There was nobody else that could do that. He redeemed us. Ephesians tells us, and forgave our sins. The forgiveness of sins is such a powerful occurrence that it is, you know, it comes off of our tongue so easy. And, and we understand that our sins have been forgiven and all that, it, it, but it is a powerful occurrence. The blood of the Lord Jesus, without the shedding of blood, there is no 
remission of sin. There's none. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was so powerful. You know, you think about the blood. Think about the volume of the blood of bulls and goats. Think about the volume of it. You, you read through, read through some of the Pentateuch and where it's talking about the sacrifices and how many of them there was. And how, you could fill this room with the blood? No. No, you could fill a convention center or more with all the blood that was shed by, by bulls and goats throughout the, the, the and, and, and throughout the ages. It's, it's, <laughs> But really, now, and I'm going to ask you a question I don't know the answer to. I'm not a good lawyer. Good lawyers don't ask questions that they don't know the answers to. But if there's anybody medical in here, how much blood's in a body? Does anybody know how much blood is in a typical body? Anybody? I don't know. It's not a trick question. Say again. How many? Six liters. It's about a gallon and a half. Did you look that up? Do you look that up? Oh, good. Six liters, about, is that, that's about a gallon and a half, right? Liters about a quart. Roughly, a gallon and a half, maybe a little more or less. It's all the blood Christ had. He was in the fashion of a man. The volume of his blood was only about a gallon and a half then, six liters. Wow, but what it accomplished. Oh, it's the blood of God. He had the power to forgive sin. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In him we have been adopted. We've been adopted into the family of God. Those of us who are afar off have been adopted into the family of God and we have the inheritance. We've got an inheritance. Can you imagine that? Have you ever inherited anything? Anything. You know, (laughs) funny story. I inherited a thirty-eight. Well, how many here know the name Wally Magnani? Again, I just, hands, forget it. Um, Wally Magnani was a, was a, was a precious brother at the Hollywood Bible Chapel back in the 80s and 90s. I believe he passed in the 90s. And, um, uh, Wally Magnani was a, you know, he was a, he was an eccentric. Well, he was an eccentric. That's all there, that's, that's the way you would have to say it. He didn't mind wearing stripes and checkers. He didn't mind it. Right? Uh, Wally Magnani never got married. Um, he willed half of his estate. Man lived east of US 1, not too far off of Hollywood Boulevard. You know the neighborhood. <laughs> An old house, but you know, that was Wally. He wills half of his estate to his the woman he loved. She got married to another guy, had kids, the whole nine yards, and two hundred and fifty thousand shows up on her doorstep. Right? That's Wally Magnani. The other two fifty? Don't anybody get mad. Please don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you the story. He willed it to the federal government. Can you imagine? You know, he was reported as saying, when I went into the Army, I was hungry and I was broke. World War II. And after that, I was never hungry or broke again. He willed half of his money to the... It's just money. Willed it to the federal government. Well, while he had gotten held up, hit on the head, money taken from him. About the same time that I had my incident, I don't know how many of you know about the incident where I got held up, years ago, back in the 80s. So we, we, we kind of had that bond together, and he went and bought this 38, right? And so when he died, he said, I, I want to make sure somebody has it, that it won't you know, fall into the wrong hands. So I got willed. I had an inheritance 
of a 38, right? Big deal. But the inheritance that we're to someday, that 38 is going to rust away. Probably already has been. A, you know, I'll take care of it. Yeah, but, but the inheritance that we have in Christ, huh, right? We have an inheritance that is incorruptible. Absolutely incorruptible. These are the things that Christ has accomplished for us by his appearing. Now, he appeared, he was, and then he taught, and we ought to listen. So, But the first half of, of, of Ephesians, we've been saved by grace, absolutely rescued by grace through faith. Ha! Huh. Ha! Huh. Why is it faith? Why faith? Why did God choose the vehicle of faith to uh, to enjoy his grace? Why did he pick that vehicle? I don't, I, I don't know. Um, it's something everybody can have, no matter of your social standing, your financial strata, your race, your creed, your color, your nation of origin. Anybody can have faith. In Christ, anybody can put their faith in Christ. You know, I would have to say that, uh, uh, that, that you know that I guess everybody does have faith, right? It's it's not our faith; it's the object of our faith that makes the biggest difference. It's the object of our faith. You know, unfortunately, the the atheist he's he's putting his faith in nothing, right? Um, so at any rate, by grace. Through faith, we have been saved. This is what Christ has brought to us, the forgiveness of sins. And it just goes on and on and on. And we, it's one thing after another in the first three chapters. In 4.1, Ephesians 4.1, that's where it changes. That's where he quits preaching and starts meddling. Four walks, one wrestle, and then war. Second half of Ephesians, four walks, one wrestle, and then war. That's what the second half of Ephesians is. Now, I, and I don't know, is that alliteration? Is that what alliteration is when each one has? Is it proper to alliterate uh, with the first letter of a word, even though it's silent? I don't know if that's proper or not. But there you have it. Uh, walk, 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 walk. Four of them. In there somewhere, there's actually one walk not. But we're going to go walk, 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 walk. And then we're going to talk about wrestling. And then we're going to talk about war. Okay? In the short time that we have left, which I don't know what it is. 20, is that 22? 11, 22? Okay. All right, this won't take long. We'll probably get out of here early today. Yeah, right off the bat, walk worthy of the vocation that you've been called. And I know a lot of us think about worthy. This is, this is not the kind of worthy that I talked about earlier, you know, who, who John wept, who's worthy to take. No, 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 no. Because we're talking about us. Okay, we're talking about us. This is the kind of worthy that Job was, right? Job was a... What are the words used about Job in Job chapter 1? Was an up, upright and... Huh? 
blameless, upright and blameless man. Uh, now, now, the last I checked, you know, I'm not a great theologian, but the last I checked, Job wasn't virgin born, right? And you theologians know what that means. He had the sin nature, he, but, he was, but he was still considered blameless, right? So our worthiness obviously does not, does not uh, ascend to the level of Christ's worthiness. He's worthy to take the scroll. The world's his. It's warranted deed to the earth, to heaven. It's all his. So he's the only one that can open it up, right? Worthy. He was worthy to hang on that cross for us. The only one. The only one. That's not the kind of worthy we're talking about here. This is a, uh, this is a worthiness that, um, the kind of worthiness, like I say, that Job had. Uh, the blamelessness that Job had. You know, there's some people are, can I use the word better? I don't know. You know, some people are more blameless than others. And we are called in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 to walk worthy of the vocation to which you have been called. Some people are more worthy than others. You know, there's people like, there's people like me. And there's people like Dave Bosworth. You can choose. <laughs> Dave. Dave's here? Dave, over here. How old, how old were you, Dave, when you started in Brigade? Huh? How old are you now? What's that math? 39 years. Almost 40 years, right? Be 40 this year. Before this year, little Dave Bosworth walked into brigade. We've known each other for a long time. So, so I can say that to him. <laughs> Walk worthy of the vocation to which you've been called. Now, I know, and I, the idea of worthy, uh, if it is a, uh, oof. <laughs> uh, uh, the idea of worthy, if, if it conjures in your mind an image of a, of a, of a man in a three-piece suit and a, and a, you know, and one who you know, who stands up in front of everybody and, and says things and does things and, and whatnot. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly the idea of worthiness that is being spoken of in Ephesians chapter 4 because right there it talks about uh, lowliness of mind, right? Uh, the ones who are, are, are meek, lowly, and, and don't, you know, don't take that maybe perhaps big position. But there are positions, obviously, that are spoken of later there in that chapter of pastors and teachers and, and everything else. And those are vocations to which those people have been called. But we are all called to the larger vocation of being a good Christian, being a good believer, being one that reflects the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Walk worthy of the vocation to which you have been called. Let's walk number one. Uh, yeah, number two, walk number two. Uh, later on in four, there's two and four, I think, and two and five. Um, walk in love. Walk in love. Dave, who, who was it that we assigned uh, 13 to? Who? David Gill? Dalith? Okay. The love chapter. We're going to listen to the love chapter. First Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. 
and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to the, for, to the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I understood as a child and thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall just shall then I shall know just as I am now. And now abide in faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. These, the greatest of these, is love. Uh, you know, when you read that passage and you realize that that's the way we're supposed to walk, that's the walk that we are called to, you know, it, it's, it's difficult enough for me to treat my wife that way, right? Let alone have to treat Malcolm that way, you know? Uh, about all you can say is ouch, <laughs> just ouch. That, uh, that hurts that hurts to know that that's what we are to be. That's what we are called to, uh, not puffed up. Uh, forget the wrongs. Uh, 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 you know, it, it never fails. Um, love is an amazing thing. And we are called in Ephesians, this is part of our teaching, this is part of what will put our feet on the solid rock, is if we walk in love. Four walks, walk, 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 walk. That's walk number two, right? The next walk, I believe, is in five, if I'm not mistaken, there early in five. That one even might have been early in five, I'm not sure. Um, walk as children of light. You know, this carries with it a different um, concept uh, than walking in the light, right? Men love darkness rather than light because it hides their evil deeds, right? So when you walk in the light, you're, the light is shining upon you and the things that you're doing. And that's the concept, if he would have said, uh, walk in light. Uh, but what was said in, in Ephesians was, walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. You know, you, you, this, this carries with it the idea that you might be the only Jesus that somebody knows. You might be it, and you're carrying his light with you. You're carrying his light with you. Now, again, we're not going to be that light, right? We're not going to be the light uh, that the, the God has sent into the world and him was uh, light, and that light was the life of man. That's not going to be us, but we are partakers of that, and we ought to walk as that. We ought to walk as we represent Jesus, because we do, because we do represent Jesus. 
So we should walk worthy. We should walk in love. We should walk as light. And the next one I love. <laughs> we are to walk circumspectly. That's, just a, that's a word that only we know. Right? You, you can't use the word circumspectly outside of these doors. Everybody look at you like you got three heads. Right? But circumspectly, that's it, it's, it, 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 it's, it's what gives us fellowship. It's what gives, it's what bonds us together is words like circumspectly. Right? Uh, it's where we get, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, uh, sister word to circumference. Right? Sister word to circumference. It talks about a circle. Circumference. Circumference. What's the, uh, you get a circle. What's the way to, to, to figure out the area of a circle? Hmm? Anybody? Not a trick question. Pi R squared. Pi, pi R squared. Who was that? Jamel. Jamel. Pi R squared, right? Pi is 20, uh, 22 sevenths, actually, right? Uh, three, 3.14 is an abbreviation. That number goes way, 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 way out. 22 sevenths pi R squared. You sure that's right? Because, because Jamel, I thought pie are round. I thought cornbread were square. And that's, yeah, yeah. Odd places, man. I find it in odd. I find humor in odd places. Pie times the radius squared. So if you've got a circle that's six foot across, the radius is three, right? Three squared is nine. Twenty-two sevenths times nine. Oh, I don't know what that is. I think it. I don't know what the. Uh, I forget what the uh, what the area of that ends up being. But but it's computable. Okay, the area. You know, the area of a square is easy. The area of a rectangle is simple. Uh, the area of a triangle is not that tough. The area of the circle. That guy had to think about that. Okay, but now as you're thinking about the area of this circle. You know, it's difficult to say, uh, you know, we have a lot of different generations in this room. W where do you see that circle? When you think about the area of a circle, where do you see it? Do you see it on a chalkboard? Do you see it on a piece of paper? Do you see it on a tablet? Do you see it on your phone? Where do you see that circle? You know, I kind of see it on a piece of paper That's you know, or a chalkboard. That's me. That's, I don't know if it's generational. I don't know. But that's me. I see this circle, and we're trying to find the, the area of this circle. But whatever uh, uh, medium you're looking at it in, I, I want you to pinch the middle of it. Pinch the middle of it and pick it up right off, off that medium. Poof, just like that. And make that circle that's flat, make it into an orb. Make it into a sphere. Okay? All right? Circumspectly is being able to look at different situations in your life, okay, as you encounter them from every different angle. It's walk wisely. That might be what some of your translations say, translations that, you know, that they actually wanted to spread this Bible thing, you know, and then not keep it amongst just us, you know. Uh, circumspectly is being able to look at these situations from every angle in that sphere. I, I don't, you know, I don't want to say crystal ball, but that's kind of the idea that I'm uh, that I'm conveying to you. But it's the complete opposite from the actual idea of a crystal ball, right? Because we don't know the future. Nobody does. Uh, 99.9% .9 of the people that have a crystal ball with mist in it on their table and charge you money, they're charlatans. 
and the other 0.01% are satanic, right? I don't know if that's the right numbers, but it's probably close. But at any rate, we have this sphere, and we look at the situations that we have from every... That's circumspectly. Don't just run willy-nilly off through the woods and... and, and, and uh, and uh, uh, trip on a branch or a log or get a stick in your eye or something like that. Walk circumspectly. Walk wisely. Look at these things. Think about them. Pray about them. God's given you a mind that you have to go through life with. Um, I, you know, maybe some of you have been, but I, I've. You know, God's never showed up and, and told me what to do audibly. Never. You have to get into his word and figure out what his will is. And, and then when you see the situations in front of you, make the best decision that you can. Walk wisely. Walk worthy. Walk. Man, when you blank, you blank, don't you? Walk worthy, walk in love, walk as light. I got the circumspectly and I just got all nastied out, man. Walk circumspectly, wisely, right? Be uh, redeeming the time, making the best of your time because these days are evil. Okay, so we've walked, 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 walked. We've done four walks. Okay, and then you have a section there in Ephesians. It's just—it's so practical. It's so practical. Such practical advice to uh, children. Wow, such practical advice to husbands and wives, to each other. Just practical, practical to bosses and to servants. Practical, practical advice. Walk circumspectly. Walk like that. You know, and then we get to the portion of uh, of wrestling. Yes, it does start with a W. Okay, uh, and this is where we're going to hearken back to uh, chapter one of Ephesians. And uh, I don't, you know, I'm not going to say that God pulled a fast one on us, but you know, He left this till the end. You know, there are we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And I think we have to remember that in our Christian lives as we deal with our neighbors and our co-workers and everybody else that is absolutely unregenerately lost. They're not our fight. They're not, they're not the fight. We are wrestling against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in the heavenlies. Not everybody in the heavenlies likes you. So, God has given us this set of armor to put on, this spiritual set of armor. Okay? What have I got here? What is that? Is that 45? 48? 38. 38. Oh, this is easy. Yeah, we're out of here. We're out. When, I saw Jal- when I saw Jamel on, on tape, on TV, I think he took till quarter after. There's no <laughs> way. There's no way we're getting there. No way. So here we have. Uh, what have we got with the armor? We've got truth. We've got. This is what we're going to talk about. Short. They're all. They're all sermons in and of themselves. We're going to just 
touch on each one and let them settle upon you. And, and, and one may speak to one, one may speak to another. They may hope, hopefully it will spurn you on to further study on these subjects. We're talking about, oh, let me see if I can remember them all. Truth, righteousness, preparation of the gospel, right? Faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer. Those seven things. Talk a little bit about each one of them and how they connect to this passage in Ephesians chapter 6. Very, 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 very familiar passage to each and every one of us. But you know, uh, the winner isn't the one that's the flashiest. The winner of an athletic competition is the one that can perform the basics the best. Blocking, tackling, shooting, wrestling, whatever it is, the one who performs the basics the best, they win, usually, outside of something weird happening. But at any rate, so what I'm, I'm saying that to say, these are the basics. These are the basics, okay? Truth. Truth. Who asked what is truth? Who asked that? Pilate Pilate asked, what is truth? That was his question in response to Jesus' statement. For this reason, I was born. For this reason, I came into this world to testify to the truth. And then Pilate said, what is truth? And turned and walked away. Went and spoke to the crowds. Do you think Jesus would have answered them? I believe he would have, given the chance. Oh, without a, a matter of fact, I would have to say without a doubt, given the chance, Jesus would have laid. <laughs> we might have had a second time in John where you saw, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Pilate didn't want to hear it from this guy. He didn't want to hear it didn't realize that he had the God of all creation standing in front of him. Amazing. What is truth? Truth, if you ask who is truth, the answer is easy. Truth is Jesus, right? What is truth? Truth is a, I'd like to say it's an accurate representation of reality, of what reality is, right? But there are so many different views that we have of reality. You can have two different humans, people, men, women, children, whatever, witness the same exact occurrence, but they see it through different frames. And this is their reality, and this is their reality. So to say that it is an accurate representation of reality, humanly speaking, is a little shy. It is reality. Truth is reality as God sees it. That's what truth is. It's God's perception of what's going on. It's God's perception of what's going on around us. You know, um, in First Chronicles, oh, an interesting passage in First Chronicles, uh, is it 12, share that we got written down? 
12, 1 Chronicles 12, uh, I forget exactly, was it 30-ish? 32, right, 1 Chronicles 32. This is where um, David was coming to his kingship, and there was a bunch of the different uh, tribes that were... um, that were coming alongside of David, men of war, men of renown. They, oh, I was amazed when we read it t- t- today. It was men who could throw rocks just as right, just as good with their right hand as they can with their left hand. Can you imagine that? These guys were these guys were formidable men. And it started listing out the tribes of Israel, and so and so sent thirty five hundred. This one sent forty forty eight hundred. This one sent. Uh, uh, 20,000 men of war, shields, spears, chariots to go help David. And it was the tribe of Issachar, tribe of Issachar. They sent, I think it was 200 men. And it says that these men were men that understood the times so they knew what Israel ought to do. They understood the times, so they knew what Israel ought to do. Truth has ramifications. When you see the truth, you've got to go with it, align yourself, posture yourself along with the truth, or possibly the truth about something you may have to separate yourself from it, right? But you need men, women, that understand the times. You guys have you guys have an excellent set of elders here. Excellent set of elders. And I believe that they understand the times. And they painstakingly try to figure out what they ought to do. Because they know the truth. So yeah, Men that understand the times, truth, God's perception of reality. Who is the truth? Jesus himself is the truth. Righteousness. Of course, we have a righteousness that is imputed to us. We have a righteousness that uh, sung today. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. <laughs> Let that settle on you for just a second. The righteousness of God in him. So we have this imputed righteousness. We have this righteousness that we are wrapped in. We have this righteousness that, that God has given to us because as we, as we visited in the first part of the sermon, there's no way we were doing it. We tried for thousands of years and we could not achieve righteousness and we wouldn't achieve it today either. We needed it imputed unto us. But that's not the type of righteousness that's being talked of in the Christian's armor, in the spiritual warfare that we are in. We, 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 this is the, remember, it's the Christian's armor. We already have that kind of imputed righteousness. We have it already. This is the righteousness, again, that we're going to hearken back to Job. This is the righteousness that Job had. Did I skip Job in truth? No? Okay. Um, this is the righteousness that, uh, that, that, that Job had. Upstanding man, again. 
Some people are better than others. Just the way it is. But the people that aren't as good, they could make it different. This is, this is a sanctified living that we're talking about. Yeah, okay. It's a, oh, you're, 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 treading on the, you're treading on the side of legalism. <sighs> I heard a girl say this in a Sunday school class one time. She said, Sister, I, carry much, I care much more about obedience than legalism. I want to be obedient. I want to be obedient. Righteousness is what is in our lives, in our daily walk. This righteousness that I, I when I think of this concept in my mind, for whatever reason, I, my mind always goes to Lynn Conlon. Lynn Conlon was one of the most upright men I knew. Lynn Conlon was a world-class tennis player. He, he, he was a world-class tennis player. They wanted him to play tennis on Sundays. Nope, not going to. Had to walk away from it. Yeah. Lynn Conlon, uh, righteousness, truth, take up, take up truth, take up righteousness. I've been divorced a little bit from the analogy. I'm going to go to the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, right? Is that where we're at? Number three is feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Um, Luke Hansford here? No. no, not here today. Luke might be able to tell you, you know, a guy with big feet. Didn't he do some MMA fighting? That's why I'm saying it. I've always heard that's part of his testimony. He did some MMA. Okay? Uh, I don't know if anybody in here has ever done that. But a guy with big feet, he's got a good foundation. And he's, he's difficult to knock down. A, a guy with big, formidable feet, he's difficult to, to topple him. Right? So this preparation of the gospel here that we're talking about, again, it's not the, it's not the macro idea of spreading the gospel, like an Acts 1-8 spreading of the gospel, or a Matthew, where's that, 28, uh, 28-19? Okay, Matthew 28-19, right? Lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. Go and make disciples. That's not what's being talked about here. The gospel, uh, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, the thing that plants us in the ground like a man with formidable feet, is how the gospel affects us as a believer, right? Again, the, the, the gospel affects us as a believer. We know things because of the gospel that, that, uh, uh, that, that, that set us in place and make us immovable. And that's what's being talked about, about your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace is to be set in place and to be firm with where you're at, not necessarily speaking about the spread of the gospel, which we all know we should be doing, right? But that's not what's being spoken of necessarily in, in this situation. So we talked about truth. We've talked about righteousness. We've talked about uh, the gospel of peace. Faith is next. Faith. This is where Job's at. This is where Job's at. Um, again, we have a faith, right, that... that, that that we are saved through, right? For by grace are you saved through faith. We have this saving faith that, that, that we, as all Christians, obviously, we have it, right? So the person that's being talked about in this passage already has this saving faith. But 
The just shall live by faith, daily basis, right? You might be going through hard times. I don't mean to, gosh, I hope I don't sound like smiling Joel, you know? You might be going through hard times, but hang on, man. Hard times don't last forever. Have faith. But, but hey, don't get high, because good times don't last forever either. You know, old, old, old Job, look at Job. He was on top of the world. He was a righteous man, right? Wow, it got all taken away from him. Just his wife left and she told him to curse God and die. Wow. Wow. He stayed under his, you know, his friends came and were telling him, Job, what did you do wrong? What have you done wrong? What is your sin? And he'd tell him, now hold on a second, Jethro. You know me. And I know you. If somebody's going to get punished for sin, it's going to be you. Job stayed under. You know, when he kept the faith. Not, not a saving faith, but faith that he was going to get through this trial. Right? Job knew that if he died, man dies, can he live again? Oof. Wow. Job knew that, that, that he, he, he had faith. You know, I shouldn't say he had faith that he was going to get through this trial. I shouldn't say that. He had faith that he was where God wanted him to be. Though he slay me, yet will I have hope in him. He wasn't sure he was going to get through the trial. He might die. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Have faith, brother, sister. Have faith. You know, Job, interesting. When Job, Job finally broke down a little bit. Said, God, why me? Why me? Why have you done this to me? That's a breakdown. You know, why shouldn't he do it to you, first of all? But God didn't say that. God's answer to him wasn't really an answer. God just told Job who he was. Did you hang the stars, Job? Did you separate the sea from the land? Did you make the Leviathan? Has your hand pierced the fleeing serpent? That might not have been in Job. Um, but yeah, he didn't, he didn't give him an answer. You don't get answers for questions like that. Siri can't tell you why God did things. You just have to stay under. You just have to stay under. You'd be able to extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. Salvation. Again, where are we at? Oh, yeah. I'm going to beat Jamel. <laughs> Salvation. Salvation. Again, speaking to a Christian, I've been told that the helmet was sweaty and hot. And, you know, they could faint if they spent too much time in the helmet. So the helmet was put on when things got dicey, right? 
Oh God, you are my rock and my salvation. You're going to get me out of this. For every temptation, there was a way of escape. You're going to get me out of this. You're going to put, I'm going through it with you, Lord. I'm going through, but I'm going to take up the helmet of salvation and count on you. I'm going to, again, you know, that's probably wrong uh, vernacular. You're going to get me through it. Uh, that's probably wrong vernacular. I'm going to stay under no matter what. And you will put me where you want me. And if that's in the grave, then that's in the grave. Wow. The helmet of salvation. Word, Dave? Oh, the Word of God. Which is the sword of the Spirit. You know, the Pharisees, Jewish leaders of that day, you know, we, 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 we like to think they were a bunch of bozos, right? Um, but they weren't. They had an understanding of Scripture that um, was unparalleled. Um, not just an understanding of Scripture. They had a yearning for Scripture. They had a dedication to Scripture. Now, did they overwalk it a bit? Yes, they did. Jesus had to tell them, look, search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. Well, they really did. They really did. These, this was the word. Listen to this. This is the word of God. They had the Old Testament. But in those scriptures, these are they that testify of me. And that's what they were just missing completely, was that these are they that testify of me. But they had, a, they had the word of God, the sword of the spirit, that is the word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 119. Oh, no, that's not 9. That's not 119.9. That's, that's wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way. Huh? 11. Yes. Uh, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Oh, um, what's the other one we got, hon? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The law of the Lord, 19, is perfect. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord. It's sure. Making wise the simple. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. It's the word of God. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And again, I don't know what image that, that conjures in your mind. It might be your mother standing over you and using your middle name, you know. But how many, how many, of, you, how many of you think about the warning of the sign on the side of the road that says, Bridge out. That's a nice warning, isn't it? That's what Scripture gives us. That bridge is out. Don't travel that path. That bridge is out. 
You know, this is the uh, probably the single uh, most important question that a believer is going to have to answer. Um, it's why do you believe the Word of God? Why do you believe the Bible? Why do you believe? Because every answer that you can, you know, everything that we give, every, the gospel comes from the Bible. Who Christ is comes from the Bible. Who God is comes from the Bible. How we get the Holy Spirit comes from the Bible. Um, uh, the story of Job comes from the Bible. The, the story of creation comes from the Bible. Why do you believe the Bible? Bible? Uh, who's got Second Peter? Is it Second Peter, one sixteen to twenty one was a second. Same reader. Okay, you can come on up, but hold your tongue for just a minute. See if I can do this. <laughs> There's something I heard that man I liked. It is a reliable scripture. Is a reliable collection of historical documents that convey to us supernatural occurrences that are in specific fulfillment of prophecy, in fulfillment of specific prophecy. And they are claimed by the writers, 40 of them, 1,500 years, three different continents, proclaimed by the writers that their origin is not human, but divine. That's now. Read. With that in mind, read Second Peter 1, 16 to 21. All right. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received from God the Father honor and glory, when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I skipped the part, didn't I, sir? The part. I skipped the part in the explanation, and I realized that when he read that passage, it's a historical, um, it's a reliable collection of historical documents that were written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. And they report to us supernatural occurrences, transfiguration. They report to us that are in fulfillment of specific prophecies, and they claim that they are not of human origin, but of divine origin. Second Peter chapter 1, 16 to 21, is why we believe, why I believe the Bible. Now, you, you know, always, give an, uh, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Don't ever feel like you have to defend the Bible. Don't ever feel like you have to defend the Bible. Who was it? Was it Spurgeon that said, you no more need to defend the Scriptures 
than you need to defend a lion. <laughs> Just turn them loose. Watch what happens. You don't have to defend the scriptures, but you are called to have a reason for the hope that lies within you. It all makes sense. It's just, it makes detail. The manuscriptural weight of scripture is immense. It's huge. It's ridiculous to even talk about. The, 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 the New Testament alone has right at 6,000 manuscripts or parts of manuscripts that, that are, that are, uh, that are documented. When you look at that in relation to other things in history, it's a joke. It's a joke. And they were written, you know, now we, we don't have the originals anymore. The Romans ruined them all, right? But we still have the copies of those originals that, that date back as far as 120 AD. Hey man, Revelation was written in, be somewhere between 80 and 90 AD. You know, you're looking about 30 years after Revelation was written, these other manuscripts were copied. They go back that far. Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar has 10 manuscripts. And the earliest one was 900 years after he lived. You can hardly believe this stuff. But you know, nobody claimed, and, re- and the reason, you know, there, there's a good reason for the, the, the Bible to be looked at um, uh, in, in more of a, 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 oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, looked at more hard than you would look at Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar never claimed the claims that are in the Bible, ever, not ever. Julius Caesar never explained the origin of man. He never explained the destination of man. He never explained the condition of man. He never explained the fix for the condition of man. None of it. None of it. So I can understand. But still, 10 manuscripts, 900 years after it occurred. The same with Aristotle. Aristotle's got like under 10 manuscripts. Uh, Socrates? <laughs> when I heard this, I couldn't believe it. None. None. Everything we know about Socrates was written about, was in somebody else's book, Plato's book. Somebody else's book. That's all we know about Socrates. The New Testament alone has 6,000 manuscripts. There's never been an archaeological dig that has disproved the Bible. Ever. Not ever. We've never had to say, well, that's wrong in the Bible because of that archaeological dig. Ever. The Word of God. It's a sharp two-edged sword. It's alive and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the joints and the marrow, the soul and the spirit. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I don't even know why I do what I do all the time. I have to really you know, be introspective about my motives. <laughs> a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It's a lion. You don't have to defend it. You might have to explain why you believe it, but you don't have to defend it. Don't do it. Prayer. Prayer. Four alls, right? One of them's an always, but that's included in the four. Pray always. 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 Does that mean you get on your hands and knees in your car when you're at the red light? 
<laughs> hold your hands by. No. No, that means that you are constantly, uh, you constantly ha- ha- have uh, the idea, constantly uh, know, constantly consider yourself to be in the presence of God. And why should you constantly consider yourself to be in the presence of God? Because you are constantly in the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is within us. The Lord already you know, said there in Matthew, Lo, I am with you always. I don't know where we've gotten this notion about there's got to be two or three gathered together. It's a different, that's a different concept. If you're alone, God is with you. You are in his presence. You can speak to him. The Holy Spirit tells him things that you don't know how to say to him. The groanings that cannot be uttered. What a God we have. Give us the Holy Spirit. Wow. What a God we have. So praying always. Your life should be an attitude of prayer. You should realize the fact that God is always with you. And communicate with him in any way that you possibly can. See everything from the frame that he sees it in. Praying always with all supplications. That's second all. With all prayer and supplication. That's what should we pray about. Everything. Everything. God is in control. Satan is constantly on the attack. Always. I had a conversation with a guy the other day. It was Bobby. Bobby Rose. And I forget, honestly, what we were talking about. It was a problem of some sort or another. And he said, Billy, do you think it was... And this, you know, it caught him flat-footed because Bobby's a, you know, he's a, he's a scriptural giant. Uh, I respect him greatly. Um, he goes, do you think it was satanic in nature? And it stopped me. I said, Bobby, isn't everything? Isn't everything? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Everything that is against God, everything that is sin, is satanic in nature. It just is. It's him winning. So we should pray about everything. So we pray always about everything with perseverance, with all perseverance and watching. And watching, this is such a, this is an awesome concept. This watching concept is just awesome. You know, I have an aunt, actually had an uncle. Uh, he's passed. My uncle's passed. My aunt's 97, right? And we have these big uh, family reunions every three years. We didn't do it this year. Um, but when I'd get there, man, she would just grill me. How's this one? How's that one? How's that one? How's that one? And I'd have to go through everything with each person, right, in the family. Wow. You know, Aunt Betty, why do you, yeah, why do you ask about all these people? She said, Billy, Don and I pray for everyone in our, now we, we have a family reunion that's got 140 people at it, and they're all from five immediate brothers and sisters, all from two little, you know, not even five foot, an Englishman and an Irishwoman, 140. She said, we pray for every child 
grandchild, great-grandchild, and great-great-grandchild by name every day. Every day. Prayer warriors. You know what she's doing when she asks me about them all? She's watching. She's watching. How are my prayers doing? What's going on in their life? What's going on in their life? What's going on in their life? Convicting. Wow. Convicting. Yeah. With all perseverance. Every morning. How often? Always. Uh, about what? About everything. With all perseverance for all the saints. Pray for one another. Pray for one another. You know, if we all pray for one another, we'll all be prayed for, right? You might think you're the only one praying, but somebody's praying for you too if things are going right. If things are being done right, somebody's praying for you too. So the four alls of prayer, all, 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 all. Pray always. Pray with all perseverance. Oh, what else? I missed them. Boy, I just went. Praying always. All petitions, right? Uh, with all perseverance and for all of the saints. And Paul, and Paul right there as he, now that's now he, 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 he segues into the end of the book, right? By the way, pray for me. By the way, pray for me that utterance might be given to me, right? Paul, pray for me. So there you have the, your part in Christmas. He came, he appeared, and he taught. And these are the things that he taught. The things that he taught are not heady things. You know, we've divided up the Bible and we know about theology and Christology and pneumatology and eschatology and ecclesiology and all these ologies, right? The wise man did. The foolish man didn't do. Let's close in prayer. Is there, is there a closing hymn? No closing hymn? Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, again, we come before you. And again, Lord, I thank you for, uh, for the trust of the elders here at the Boulevard Bible Chapel to give me a chance to open your word uh, to us. Father, I pray that it has uh, struck where you wanted it to. Uh, Lord, I pray that, uh, um, that you have used uh, your word once again as we have seen over and over again that you have used your word once again for your glory. Father, we pray for your glory to, uh, to, 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 to occur from this entire gathering, uh, from this meeting today, uh, for, from the year that's coming to us. Lord, we know there's, there's already three days gone. Father, uh, we thank you for this new year. Um, it's another year. Lord, we know that the challenges will be uh, likely the same. Father, we, uh, we have faith in you. Lord, we pray that you would take the glory for yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.